entrepreneurs can get very selfish. We can get locked into our own world. It is so freaking busy all the time that we want to shut out the world. And that a lot of times includes our significant others. That is the worst thing we can do. Welcome back to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. My name is Mike Flynn, and I am honored to be your host. Our mission here on the Impact Entrepreneur Show is not just to inspire you, but also to help you tap into and begin to believe in your God-given potential and purpose. That's right, baby. We want you to not only be inspired, but experience breakthrough. And we do that on this podcast by interviewing incredible people who are using their experiences, their skill set, their platforms to have a game-changing impact in the lives of others. And here's the thing. None of these folks are simply sitting back, living a life of leisure. They have things to do, places to go, and lives to impact. Speaking of that, welcome back to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. It is Monday, April 8th, and we are getting so close. And can't you feel it to the launch of Master the Key, a story to free your potential, find meaning, and live life on purpose? And last week, we heard a mashup episode with two of my heroes, Kevin Hall and Lou Holtz. And I would encourage you to go back and listen to that mashup episode if you're interested. But in the meantime, right now, I'd love for you to hit pause and send me a text. Text the word key to 831-607-1818, followed by your name, and I will automatically add you to a list where you will be updated on the the progress of the book and and as we get closer to launching. But this week, we are going to hear from two incredibly powerful, wonderful women who are leading others who are having a game-changing impact in the lives of others and in the world. And we're going to kick things off with Mel Robbins. You may recognize that name. She was on this show uh, back in 2017, and she is the international best-selling author of The Five-Second Rule, and she's a like, prolific speaker. She's all over the place, and she's got a whole series on Audible. I mean, she is just crushing it right now because she is trying to help men and women earn confidence and realize that they are capable of doing incredible things. And I reached out to Mel and I asked if she would be uh, open to providing an endorsement for the book. And she said, yes, and I'm super humbled by that. And this is what she said. Sometimes life throws you a gut punch and it can be hard to know where to go from there. This inspiring story reminds us how important it is to stay open to opportunities that may lead you to places you never imagined. So I hope you enjoy this little snippet from my original conversation with Mel Robbins. If you would love to listen to that whole episode, you can go back. It's like episode 98, I believe, is the episode uh, that we the, of the full conversation. And uh, in the meantime, remember to send me that text to 831-607-1818 that the word key followed by your name, and I will add you to this list. Or you can go to theimpactentrepreneurshow.net and enter your email and your name on the website, and you'll be added to that same list. But in the meantime, I need to get you to Mel. Brace for impact. One of the questions that one of, one of the fans of my show asked uh, me to ask you, he is his name is Brett Rabo. He is a coach. He coaches Olympic athletes, Paralympic athletes, and, and executives. Uh, he lives in Australia, and he has also has a great podcast called Your Life of Impact. But he actually uses the five-second rule 
uh, with his athletes and clients, but occasionally encounters resistance to it. So he wanted to know, how do you coach people through the resistance that some people create to the five-second rule? What do you mean? What kind of resistance? I, I think maybe it's it's a it's an ongoing habit or a doubt that the five-second rule will really work. Well, you know, the doubt, in terms of the doubt that it'll work, you know, if you've got somebody that is suspicious or that is suspect that something so simple won't work, what you're probably dealing with is somebody that loves to be right and has a million excuses for everything. And so making an excuse for the fact that the five-second rule doesn't work is just yet another example of a pattern of behavior that's got this person stuck. And so I would, there's two things. One is I have never, ever, ever, ever in nine years of using this, having a TED talk that's been seen more than 11 million times and being one of the most book motivational speakers in the world, I have never once had somebody write and say it didn't work for me. What I have had people say is I know I should use it and I haven't. And so if you've got somebody that's resistant to using it, either they don't want to change or they are still so stuck in their excuses that they're fighting trying something new. I love that. I think that it is straight advice that Brett can use with his athletes and and we can all use when we question whether it works. I mean, I, I use it in my daily workouts. I do CrossFit and those CrossFit workouts are sometimes grueling. And uh, if I were to count from one to whatever, I would stand there and never pick up the weight again. But counting down from five, actually, I'm not going to go to zero and then negative one and then negative two just doesn't work. Of course not. It's a prompt. Like, and and then, then also your mind is now focused on doing the thing that you're looking at. And so it's just a, there. there's so much science. And, you know, again, having used it, having seen a quarter of a million testimonials from 90 countries, I don't even bat an eye on whether or not it works. Like, you know, you, you got some per, some person who's too lazy to use it. Well, then that's their problem. I know of 17 people who haven't committed suicide. I know of people that have ended 23-year addictions to cigarettes or booze or porn or whatever it is using this. We know of people in CBT therapy and post-traumatic stress disorder therapies that are using it with transformative results with their clients. I've cured myself of a 20-year battle with anxiety. If you're too stubborn to try something this simple that's backed by science and working for millions of people... Stay stuck. (laughs) But that's the kind of coach I am. Like literally, there are tools that work. You are either somebody that wants to change or you're somebody that wants to bitch about it. End of story. Yeah, and I think that there are people in in the world that um, don't believe in simple. They believe in complex and and therefore they stay stuck. And, and, you know, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. And this is an incredibly simple tool and it's backed by science and and results and i personally believe that we are all created for greatness and that that is something that a lot of people don't believe and i believe personally that one's ability to believe that in what their capacity is and what they're capable of achieving is the one thing preventing them from realizing their goals from living a fulfilled life from from taking action I, I, you know what i disagree what? I don't think it has anything to do with mindset. I think it has everything to do with action. And I think there's a huge mistake that people make thinking that they got to believe. No, you don't. You got to do the work. And when you start to do the work, instead of waiting around to feel motivated or believe in yourself, which you may never, 
when you start to actually do the simple steps that the experts advise, whether it's having a morning routine, not sleeping with your phone, setting uh, the one thing you're going to do today so you leverage the progress principle, moving and using the five-second rule before self-doubt gets in. Actually take action before you worry about your mindset. Everything falls into place. Everything. Your mindset will follow. And for, like, I think everybody is capable of greatness. I think that there are some people that it comes more easily to because you were just naturally preset with a positive mindset or you're surrounded by people that are cheering for you and coaching you, but everybody's got it in them. And the second that you understand that it is about action first, that's the secret. Okay, so what propels someone to action? Desire? Um, Decision. I guess the question is, what motivates someone to make a decision? I guess I'm I'm trying to get to the the pain point, the whatever the the goal is. I think it can be pain. It can be inspiration. It can come from a number of places. I mean, what what motivated me to get out of the law practice was misery. Mm-hmm. What motivates me to stay fit is the fact that I want my husband to stay fit. So it's part of the bargain. People's motivations come from very different places. And like nothing happens upstairs. It all starts the second that you make a decision. And a decision is not made in your head. It's made when you move. I can sit here and say, oh, I've decided to be in shape. But unless I get my ass to the gym and I actually eat healthy, I haven't made a decision. I've had a thought. So how do you unwind You know, this, this all of this mindset, motivation stuff that's been talked about and that I talk about, frankly? How do you unwind that uh, and, and maybe balance that out with the, the action, make the action precede the, the motivation? See, I think um, motivation is wonderful when you have it. But for most people, you d- they don't feel motivated. For somebody that's 300 pounds, they don't feel that motivated and excited to go to the gym. They feel ashamed. They feel frustrated. They feel like it's going to be too much to bear. And so I coach people very differently because I think getting hung up in how you feel in the moment, that is where most people get stalled. They stop and listen to the shame. They stop and say, well, I don't feel motivated today, so I'm not going. I'll wait until I feel a little bit more excited to do this. And I'm trying to get people to wake up and realize that when it comes to the hard stuff, you may never feel like it. And that's okay. Feeling unmotivated is normal. Letting it stop you is a choice. Feeling overwhelmed, normal, letting it stop you is a choice. And so for people that have a positive mindset, that's wonderful, awesome. I would love it if humanity would wake up and feel motivated to go to the gym and feel motivated to work on themselves. But most people are struggling with depression or overwhelm or problems at home or low self-esteem and sitting around and waiting for that to shift and trying to think positive when all you see is evidence around you that it's not and people that trigger you to think in a way that's really negative, that is hugely, that that is a huge problem for people. And so understanding that you have a choice over your behavior, always, regardless of how you feel, that the second that you move, that your physiology changes and your mind falls in line with what you're doing, that understanding that it really begins with action for most of us, That is a major liberating shift for people. You can literally be overwhelmed by alcoholism and you can choose not to drink. You can be surrounded by triggers at work 
that make you feel insecure or like a loser. And you can still operate at work in a way that, exhi- that, that exhibits confidence. That you can be terrified of cold calling and you can still make them. And so I think, it's, I think it is detrimental to most people. And this is why I went on this rant with Tom Bilyeu about the reason why I think motivation is garbage. And I, you know, and I get that it's a joke because you know, I'm called a motivational speaker. But what I talk about is the fact that motivation for most people doesn't exist at the moment of change. What exists for everybody is a moment of action. And, and that word, you know, uh, motivation literally means to move. So, I mean, I don't think it's, you know, it's, it's, a, mis- it's a misunderstood, misused word because it, it requires us to take action. And, and you are empowering a lot of millions of people to take action. You are t- launching a course called The Power of You. I'm not sure if it's still open, but I'd love to talk about that. 300 pound person who is, who is feeling ashamed of going to the gym and how you would draw out their greatness and use the coach them to use the five second rule to begin to take action, regardless of whether they feel like doing it. Well, I think that the, the, the number one thing for people to understand is that all the stuff that you're feeling as defeating as it is, it's perfectly normal. And that lots of people feel that way. And that you can separate the feelings that you have about what you need to do from the actions that you need to take to do it. And for a lot of people, especially somebody that is very heavy and that has not been in good shape, just getting them to understand and embrace the fact that you're not going to feel like it, but you got to do it anyway. Then you can coach them to use tools like the five second rule, whether it's the second that you start to feel like you're not going to go, five, four, three, two, one, and now let's insert an anchor thought. That anchor thought is going to help you rewire the way that you think in your default settings. There's other things that you can do with the science of habits. I've changed the way that I feel about exercise by understanding the science of habits. And so another thing that I would do with a person like that is I would teach them about the science of habits and how behavior gets encoded as chunks. I would teach them about their habit loops. We would take a look at all the triggers that trigger them not to exercise or trigger them to feel shame. And then we would start to insert new behaviors for all of those triggers. The other thing that I would do with somebody like that is you can set up a simple habit loop like laying out your clothes at night and coming up with um, a routine the next day so that you see the clothes lying on the floor. It becomes a trigger. The trigger is to go to the gym. The key is you have to have an incredible reward tied to the post-exercise routine. Now, my reward, as crazy as it sounds, is a iced latte because it's delicious (laughs) and I love it. And what happens with the science of habits is if you, five, four, three, two, one, lay your clothes down the night before, even though you don't feel like it. And the next morning you wake up and the first thing you're feeling is, I don't want to go to the gym. And you walk into the closet and there are those damn clothes. It triggers you to be reminded that you need to do it. So you five, four, three, two, one, pull on the clothes, even though you don't feel like going. And as you walk past the, the kitchen and you, you see the croissant, you five, four, three, two, one, and you keep walking past it. And as you see that it's raining outside, now you really don't want to go. You go five, four, three, two, one, and you keep going and you get to the gym and then you go and you do your thing at the gym for 20 minutes, or you turn on your tape and you watch somebody online and you do it for 20 minutes. Then you need a reward. And the reason why you need a reward is because your brain learns things in chunks. It remembers the beginning and the end, but not the middle. 
And so what'll happen and what's happened for me in my case is four or five days of using the same habit loop of the clothes on the floor, using the five second rule to get myself to the gym, even though I don't feel like it, rewarding myself with a nice latte at the end. What's happened now is pretty interesting. My mind has learned that chunk of behavior. And so now when I walk into my closet and I see the clothes on the floor, I don't think about exercise. You know what my mind thinks about? That latte. Yeah. The ice latte. That's right. Because your mind learns things in a chunk and it forgets about the exercise piece. And so will you still have to push yourself? You better believe you will. There are other things you can do. You can, you know, if you're the kind of person like me that needs somebody screaming at you in order to break a sweat, you can force yourself to go to classes. You can force yourself to walk with somebody. Like kind of understanding the triggers, understanding the 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 things that you do, you build these if-then plans, which up your percentage of doing and completing uh, the project by like 70%. You use the habit of, you use the, the science of habits and you use the five-second rule as the way to get yourself to launch five seconds at a time through the self-doubt and all the other stuff that derails you. That's how you do it. And you don't expect to like it. And then something funny happens. You actually might. Yeah, you know, and the other thing that you, you bring to mind is the difference between setting an intention versus goal setting. What, what's your take on, on goal setting and, and how people can use the five-second rule to enhance their planning, basically? Well, so a couple things. I think goals are really important, but most of us have goals that are way too big. I believe in curiosity and generally kind of putting out there things that you want to do without an attachment that you'll actually get them done. I, I, I feel that the secret to life is getting people started and then nudging them along. And once they're moving, they will discover things that they never could have predicted when they set the goal. And what happens for most people is you have a goal that you want to write a book. And so you get started writing, but then you realize as you're writing, actually, it's not a book about my grandmother's life. It's a cookbook. But then because it's not the same goal, then suddenly you stop. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's really important to understand that goalposts are simply a beacon in, in, in the distance that gets you moving. And once you start pushing yourself forward and moving toward it, be prepared to learn things and be curious and see how it evolves. And so I do a planning method that's based on research out of the Harvard Business School and that takes advantage of the progress principle. And so I have things that I'm interested in pursuing this year. And then every day I do small things to just move the ball forward. And that creates a much better process for me because I keep inching things along and it allows the, the, for me to learn things and have things evolve and grow. Now, the other thing about goal setting that a lot of people don't understand, and this is your question about goal setting, which to me is a beacon in the future versus intentions. So intentions to me, is it the Zeitgeist effect? I think that's what it's called. Your mind hates open questions because open questions create certainty. Your mind loves to create to-do lists because it likes to check things off. And so one of the interesting things about your mind is that when you set an intention for the day, you've basically opened up a checklist in your mind, and now your brain is going to nudge you whenever you're near that intention. So for example, let me give you an example. If you tell people, if you get people to set the intention that they are going to exercise today, 
If you walk into a living room, nothing happens on your brain. If you've set the intention that you're going to exercise and you walk past a gym, even one that you don't belong to, your prefrontal cortex awakens. Your mind is designed to remind you of the things that you said that you wanted. And that's why you feel guilty. That's, that's your brain's way of nudging you toward the thing that you said you were going to do. That's why you feel guilty when you break a promise, because you said you wouldn't do it. And so your mind has this mechanism in place where it remembers what you said you would do, and it makes you feel bad, or it sort of lights up and makes you pay attention to the things around you that could help you. They've done so many studies on this. Like, for example, they'll have somebody talk about the fact that they're thirsty, and if they're in a, if they walk into a room and there's nothing in the room that relates to water, nothing happens in their brain. But if they walk past a fire hydrant in a functional MRI, the brain lights up because you're near something that can help you check that box in your mind. It's really fascinating when you understand that stuff because you can kind of hack yourself. That is fascinating. And the progress principle and the, the, the outline you just gave about the power of intentions is, is incredible. And I think will be very valuable to listeners as a takeaway. And I know you're short on time, so I want to just I want to begin to close things out. But I want to make sure people know where to connect with you, where they can go to uh, learn more about the power of you and the other things that you're doing. So why don't you take a moment to sure? So the best thing to do, and I appreciate that, Mike, is just go to melrobbins.com. We have a newsletter that a quarter of a million people open every single week. 99% of the stuff that I do is free. We do a ton of videos. We do a ton of live stuff on Facebook. We're constantly posting. I do a ton of corporate speeches. The only thing that I do in terms of courses is twice a year, we run a course called The Power of You. I think by the time this airs, enrollment will actually be over. Okay. But And we do it as a group. So you do this course on the science of clarity, courage, and confidence. We will not do another course again until the spring of 2018. It's a super cool program because it's live coaching for 60 days with yours truly with a global community that is all going through the same curriculum in a closed Facebook group. It's a really neat, powerful program. We do it twice a year. If you're interested, go to melrobbins.com slash power of you. And I'm sure we will, there's a, once the course registration's down for this one, we'll have a countdown for when the next program launches. But seriously, just go to melrobbins.com, sign up for the newsletter. It's free. It's a great way to, to get content once a week. And uh, to get connected into our social media channels, we're reaching 20 million people a month with our content and our platform. And we would love to have you if you want more science-backed advice from somebody that's here to cheer you on. And I don't really view myself as an expert, Mike. I view myself as somebody that has made a lot of mistakes. I still make a lot of mistakes. And I'm figuring things out and I'm sharing things in real time because if I can save you headache and heartache, boy, does that make me happy. One of the things I love about you and your husband is that you have a rule, which is to tell the truth regardless of the consequences. And I love that. I love this conversation. I have so many more questions, but we we don't have the time for them today. I have just one final question and then we will uh, let you go to uh, have the impact that you're having in the world. And that final question is, how will Mel Robbins measure her life? By the people that are standing around me when I'm dying. Hmm. What would you hope they would say? It's been a great ride. I'll see you on the other side. Like I, I, I literally, I, I, it's taken me 49 years to figure out what to do with my life. And I'm actually doing it. And if I can continue doing this, 
and serving other people and discovering new ways to make my own life better and my own mental game better. And by mental game, I don't mean grit and hustle and all that. I mean that I'm not torturing myself, that I'm actually a positive person that's optimistic, that makes a difference in the world, no matter how small of a world it may be. That to me is what matters, that I was a good person. Mel Robbins, thank you for joining us on the Impact Entrepreneur Show. And folks, do not wait 49 years to have the impact. (laughs) Do what you want to do. Act right now and go buy Five Second Rule. It will have a tremendously positive impact. And again, Mel, thank you so much. Look forward to continuing to collaborate with you and help spread the Five Second message. Awesome. How do you answer that question? How do I answer that question? Uh, How will I measure my life? Yeah, in a similar fashion. I measure my life by the impact that my my kids will go on to have. I have four children, and mm. um, I'm very focused on instilling confidence and courage in them, as well as a, curi- a curious mind. You know, they are capable of doing incredible things, but they're not going to be able to do it unless they take action starting now. So I'm teaching them to take action on things that they're afraid of. This episode is brought to you by the Lawton Marketing Group, a full-service advertising and design agency specializing in websites, social media, apps, logos, and more. Based in Oklahoma, they work with clients across the nation from small businesses to large corporations and everything in between. You can find them right now on the web at www.lawtonmg.com or call them at 580-275-2063. Connect with them now for a complimentary competitive analysis of your website. Just tell them the Impact Entrepreneur told you to call. So I wrote a book. It's called Master the Key, a story to free your potential, find meaning, and live life on purpose. And it will be available for sale beginning April 29th. That's Monday, April 29th. And I believe and I know it will be a transformational read for those who decide to purchase it, read it, and engage in the journal section. Why do I feel confident enough to make such a bold claim? Because, and I think that we will all agree, the greatest crisis that we face as individuals and as a society is not remembering that we've been given all we need to live a life where our full potential is at work, where we have a clear understanding of the meaning of our life, which then empowers us to live a life on purpose. It's a crisis and a tragedy because too many of us spend our life chasing things, external things and places and people and wealth and altered states, when instead the truth we desire has been dwelling within us all along. Now, how do we get to that truth? And I'm so glad you asked. Well, the book is a fictional story that will guide readers to that truth. It's been called a must-read, compelling, and thought-provoking, and inspirational. It's received praise from a wide array of thought leaders, college Hall of Fame football coaches, CEOs of major corporations, Olympic athletes, and sports psychologists. Now, I know what you're thinking. That's a diverse bunch, and you're right. 
But it makes sense because what you will come to discover in the book is that we are all a composite of each of the characters, from the ambitious entrepreneur to the orphaned violinist, to the Cuban refugee, to the executive coach, to the janitor, and all of the supporting cast. So right now, what I want you to do is hit pause and then text the word KEY, followed by your first name, to this number, 831 607 That's 831-607-1818. Text the word key followed by your name to that number and you will automatically be updated when the book goes live. Or you can go to theimpactentrepreneur.net and enter your name and email address on the homepage and you will be added to that list as well. So again, hit pause, send me that text so you'll be added to the list, 831-607-1818 or go to the website, theimpactentrepreneur.net and add your name and email address on the homepage and get ready for this book to change your life on April 29th to have a significant impact and influence on your life and the life of those that you love beginning on April 29th. Now back to the show. All right, now you are going to hear from another dynamic, amazing leader, Cheryl O'Laughlin. She is an incredible human being. She, I first encountered her work through her her book, her first book called Killing It, An Entrepreneur's Guide to Keeping Their Head Without Losing Their Heart. But this lady is an incredible business leader and so, so humble. And you'll get that when you hear this conversation in a moment. But she is the current CEO of Rebel, an incredible uh, beverage company that is doing amazing things, not only with food that they're putting into the drinks, but actually changing lives in the world in third world countries but she's the, also the former CEO of Cliff Bar and the former executive director of the Center for Entrepreneurial Studies at Stanford Graduate School of Business and she's been she's become a, a supporter of, of mine and and uh, and I asked her to provide an endorsement and she graciously said yes and here's what she had to say about my upcoming book Master the Key. We've all made the mistake of grinding away in order to achieve something someone else said would fulfill us. And when it doesn't, our light begins to dim. Master the Key reminds us that we each possess the key to setting our potential free without losing who we are in the process. Man, that is so incredible. I hope you enjoy this soundbite from our conversation with Cheryl and the previous one with Mel. You can go back and listen to those episodes in their entirety. Mel is like episode 98. I think Cheryl is like 53 or 54. She's in the 50s. And we'll be we'll be sure to link to both those episodes in the show notes. But be sure to pause, send me a text to 831-607-1818 with the word key and your name to be added to this list. And I'm so grateful for your support. And now I need to get you to Cheryl so you can hear her powerful message. Bust out your pens and paper, take some notes, and brace for impact. Is that something you guys found? Here you are, you've got Plum, you've got you know the, the Blue Sky Family Club that is crumbling. You have this also this track record as a successful CEO Behind it, so there's like a little bit of ego and, and pride in there, and then this is happening, and in your mind, you're probably saying, "How can this be happening?" You know, <laughs> and then and then there's probably embarrassment 
And so I would imagine that you started closing doors and windows from other people to protect yourself to a certain degree. Is that is that something you found yourself doing or, or was there a community that was able to rally around you and kind of help you uh, get back into this awareness of that? Wow, I'm, I'm doing harm. Yeah, I mean, that's... I we were grinding it out ourselves, and that's why you know anorexia took me um, because I was I was trying so hard. I you know when this first happened, I was I it's almost like I felt nothing because I knew I had to be there a hundred percent for Patrick, for my kids who were eight and five at the time, and for Plum, and I just grinded. And then, you know, Patrick, amazingly, after you know, went through, here's the most optimistic person I've ever met in my life and just was so bummed out. I mean, he, could, he could, couldn't get out, out of bed. He couldn't sleep, but he, he, he would hold me in the morning so I wouldn't leave. And I had a break away, which was so painful to go to Plum. And it just, you know, even friends were so good about staying connected with our friends. I mean, once we, we have our groups of friends, and when we're with them now, we always make plans for the next one. We never not have plans on the calendar. Our relationships are so important, but yet we would call people up and say, "We we can't. We just can't do it. We can't go out. We can't get out of this house." And once Patrick, after amazingly only three months, started to feel so much better, I fell apart, and I started feeling the weight of what happened, and. I, you know, after that and in trying to still continue to grind through plum and trying to deal with this ourselves, I, that's when I ended up finally saying, you know what? And I think this is important for entrepreneurs to realize is there's a time to say, you know, I'm done. I need to let go. And so, you know, I, I went to everyone in my company and I said, you know, I think it's best for me that I move on to take some time away from this. And, you know, it was, it was a shift for the company, but it, it had to be, I thought it was right for me. I, I, I knew it was right for the company. Eventually it would, it would, it have a big impact. And so then I, you know, got the joy of working at a university like Stanford, where there's sun shining all the time, and everyone's talking about big there's concepts. Nothing about, uni- nothing about unicorns over you there. Just not, I mean, literally, it's an amazing place. But then that got me reconnected and reconnected to myself. But at the same time, Michael, you know, we when Plum sold, we moved up to Santa Rosa and. I thought, okay, I, I took some time off and I thought, you know what? Now everything's going to be right. And because I still felt angst from this whole thing and I hadn't fully dealt with my anorexia. And I felt so depressed, you know, and I'm here and I, it should be the greatest joy in the world to be in wine country where people talk about food and wine all the time. And I, you know, I just said, I got to do something about this. And I buckled down and, you know, I went through therapy. I went to see a nutrition therapist and a therapist and I worked my way back. I worked my way finally out of the dark. And all of, you know, what I realized and what I write in this book is how to do this thing in a joyful, healthy way and how to keep my self worth 
from being attached to the company. Yeah. That's something so many entrepreneurs fall in and it's understandable. It becomes our identity. It's something that we've created. It's like it's like an artist. It comes from your heart and soul. And many times, as we did with Blue Sky, your net worth is involved with the company. Right. And so you have to separate. We're not our companies. We're not. We have lives outside of them that are going to become way beyond them. And I'm amazed at the research that you do. I mean, I am. I'm a daughter. I'm a sister. I'm a mommy. I'm a wife. I'm a friend. I love listening to grudge music and drinking Chardonnay and, (laughs) you know, being an avid reader and camping and being outdoors. And, you know, I, I just... That's the person I am and always will be, regardless of what happens and when I'm with the company. It's just, it's not all of me. And you've kind of flipped what what used to be. You used to be an entrepreneur and then all of these things. Now you are all of these things and then an entrepreneur. And I, you know, it's 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 almost like I it's I'm all of these things and I'm an entrepreneur because I'm part of this story that has this purpose where I the people I work with, including my board, I just I love these people. And just, you know, there was a there was a time, this was about a year and a half ago, and I had just gone through just a hard fundraise. And I walked into the Rebel offices and there was Paolo, who's the co-founder of the company and the chief innovation officer. <laughs> he took one look at me and I must look like shit. And he comes up and he said, can I give you a hug? And I said, yes. And he gave me a hug that he didn't let go for like two straight minutes. And I came out of that hug and I felt like I had superpowers. Yeah. And so the company culture to me and understanding the humanity of every person in there and understanding their absolute right to have a full life is so critical to me. Because I know that they're going to be happier and they're going to come to, to the company with so much energy and motivation to just do do what it takes to make it happen, but know that they need to rest and recover. That is part of it. That's an integral part of being an entrepreneur is knowing how to rest and recover. And this is going to sound so silly, but in our, in our internal communication t- channel called Slack, because um, we have you know folks that are remote, and we have a channel in there called Weekend Stories, and people just post what they did on the weekend, whether it be walking their dog, going on a hike, or having a blast at a restaurant with a bunch of friends. But we post these pictures just so we can see that we're doing other stuff and life. This is what's important in life. And believe it or not, my investor and board member, Dwayne, who I adore, he is just so such a wonderful person through his whole soul. I called him up and he said, he and Carol, his partner at Bigger, the um, his investment group, I called him. They were sitting there jamming on the guitar and he's like, hey, check this out. We're jamming on <laughs> our guitars right now. Hey, yeah, let's talk about business for five minutes. We're going to go back to jamming. That's what life is about. So entrepreneurship is part of my life. It's not something that I have to shun. It just works into my philosophy of my life. Right. Yeah. No, and it's incredibly powerful. And you went through the peaks and valleys to kind of come to that yeah. realization. And I have so many things that have come to mind through this 
story that you just told that I want to kind of like develop a little bit. But before I uh, forget, I want to make sure that I connect you with two really incredible leaders oh, cool. who who you may or may not have heard of that that um, are totally aligned with what you're doing. Cool. One of them is a guy named Cameron Harold, who is the uh, best-selling author of three different books, but he's the former chief operating officer of 1-800-GOT-JUNK. Oh. And he, he has a whole, his whole mission is about correcting people's thinking about ADHD. Wow. And um, he talks about the importance of a vivid vision. That's how he helped grow uh, 1-800-GOT-JUNK to a $100 million company, as well as others, all about the vision and the culture. And he, he talks a lot about the entrepreneurial roller coaster. In fact, there's a whole chapter about it in oh. one of his books. And oh. it's it's phenomenal. So I'm going to connect oh. you with him because oh, he's yeah. a cool dude. And the other person is the former editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine, mm. Amy Cosper, if you've not um, met her before. She's a phenomenal person. And uh, she just recently resigned from Entrepreneur Magazine to go do something more intentional herself. Wow. She started a company called Radical Upstarts. And... Uh, but she wrote an article for Entrepreneur called "Building a Bi- the Dangers of Building a Business Without a Soul. Wow. Specifically talking about some of the silico- problems in Silicon Valley. Wow. And uh, she's a phenomenal person, and I'll, I'll, I'll be happy to make Wonderful. those Thank you. That's huge. So one of the things that came to mind that I'm so impressed, okay, about, about you and your story, you and Patrick are, are still married. Oh, yeah. And that- still love each other. And and have these two sons, and that in and of itself is a miracle. Your your health is a your health is a miracle. Oh, and you're your, gonna and, make me cry. And your marriage is is a miracle. And you should cry tears of joy because it's powerful and it's an example. You're a beacon to others that that you don't need to quit on life or each other. How did you do that? Yeah, um, you can see so clearly in that moment how when things just fell apart in blue sky that there's two paths you can choose. Um, One is to blame and be so angry and um, just separate yourself from it. And that's what crushes marriages. The other path is to say, we're partners. We're in it together. Hey, look at, you know, Patrick did not start blue sky until I said I'm in. And we are we are partners in every sense in the imagination. And um, he's my soulmate. And you know, getting through that situation with him had made our marriage stronger than ever. He's an incredible person, but we never ever blamed each other. Mm, that's that is key. That is key. And you talk about important questions that people should ask, spouses should ask each other. Uh, especially when you have one spouse that's an entrepreneur and another that's not, maybe because they don't know what to expect. What are some of the conversations that married entrepreneurs should be having with each other? Yeah, well, if if you're both entrepreneurs, it's really deep conversations as to what it really takes to do this and what you're willing to give up in the process and how much risk you're willing to take together. And that is really, really important. And again, with entrepreneurs just thinking there's a pot of gold at the end, that risk is real. And the job of an entrepreneur is actually to minimize that risk. We all think it's about risk-taking. No, it's about learning how to minimize that risk. 
So those those are the business conversations, but they're also the conversations of, you know, how are you going to manage your family? How do you stay connected to the to your relationships? When do you tell each other and how do you, you know, what's your what's your word? We talk about words in our conversation earlier. What's your word that says you're going down a dangerous path? You know, and to this day, Patrick, you know, we 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 have always have dinner with the kids religiously, no phones, connected with each other. And then Patrick and I will go long after and talk. You know, it's like an hour and a half that we spend on dinner, but it's worth every moment. So we're connected in the family. And then we'll go up, you know, I might do a little work. And by nine o'clock, I got to be off my computer. And there's some times where I'm like cranking. I'm like, I can't get off. And Patrick will always say, done. It's done time now. We're going to sit. We're going to watch TV, read books together, whatever it is. It's done time. But it's also important for people who are entrepreneurs and for people who are with their significant other is not an entrepreneur. I don't care if you're married, if it's it's a girlfriend, boyfriend, girlfriend, girlfriend. I don't care what it is. It is so important that you listen to each other and that an entrepreneur is willing to put it all out there, not just that once in the beginning, because there's no way, no matter what I write in this book, there is no way it's like a pregnancy book. You can't possibly know what it's going to be like to have kids and have that baby. But you read a pregnancy book because it's going to give you insight as to what's going to happen. And then when you're going through it, you say, I'm not nuts. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think reading a book like Killing It and understanding and having an entrepreneur know going in that I can say all this stuff, but I don't know exactly what it's going to be like. And to keep that communication open at all times. But in addition, entrepreneurs can get very selfish. We can get locked into our own world. It is so freaking busy all the time that we want to shut out the world. And that a lot of times includes our significant others. That is the worst thing we can do. We have to listen to our significant others with compassion. They have lives too. They're going through ups and downs too. And they're saying really important things that we have to pay attention to. That's what makes a marriage strong. That's what makes a relationship strong. It is so important to continuously talk, never stop. Once you stop talking, that's the end of it. Yeah, communication is is key. I mean, you're gonna if you're an entrepreneur, you're gonna communicate with your investors, your team, on a daily basis, on a minute to minute basis. Why not the most important relationships, which are your spouse and your family? It's very true, and I would also say that entrepreneurs are. You know, I call it being with your tribe. Mm-hmm. Entrepreneurs are a tribe. You know, a tribe is a group of people where you feel like they just get you because, in many cases, they are doing what you're doing. And you know, I think of like uh, football fans who. You know, they can high five each other and console each other, but you just know you're kind of in the mindset together. And entrepreneurs are a tribe too. We just need to connect with each other and share what's real and be willing to be vulnerable. Because to your earlier point, you know, we're we're having to sell all the time as entrepreneurs. We have to sell everybody on our idea because no one's going to come out in this crazy journey. If that in the beginning is just based on a vision with nothing else behind it, how do you convince people to come work for you or fund your company? You have to be the one who's optimistic, who believes in what you're doing and selling it with all your heart and soul. However, there is a time where we have to stop selling and we need to get real. 
with other entrepreneurs, there's a place that we can do that if we're willing to be vulnerable with each other. And now there's groups like there's Entrepreneurs Organization, uh, Young Presidents, uh, Young Presidents Club. There's my alma mater, Vistage. These are places where you can go. There, there are people that get you and they understand. And you know, I, I I call it the Great Tribes Person Test. You've got to be willing to to cry with them. If you can't cry, then th- those aren't the. You got to connect with other people. You know. Form your own group. Find a group of entrepreneurs you can up with, open up with, but find the group of people that you can cry with. Yeah. Now that's in, that's incredibly important because it can be very lonely. Yeah. Be, be incredibly lonely. And I'm not just talking about women. There were plenty of men that cried in Vistage. Yeah. But there was their place that they could let right. it go. It's the safe zone. It's the safe it's zone. It's the safe zone. You know, both Cameron and Amy, who I talked about earlier, have Cameron has a chapter in his book called Vivid Vision and on my conversation with Amy, one of the she said that the number one differentiator between entrepreneurs that succeed and those that don't is clarity of vision. And you talked about vision earlier. How do how should entrepreneurs approach creating a vision? And what are the most common things they leave out? They forget to do. You know, there's a there's a formula that's been kind of given for creating a vision in the Silicon Valley sense, but I think that it's, it falls short and. To a certain degree, and what would be your advice to an entrepreneur who's sitting down and creating a vision that they're then going to bring to other people to get behind that project? Yeah, well, I think there's there's two parts of it that are hopefully intricately linked. What's your purpose? What are you passionate about? What's important to you? And digging deep, just like Gary taught me so long ago. And, you know, again, that's what Neil and I did in terms of our passion around our kids. And so something that that's that important to you and finding where those pain points are, you cannot, no matter how grand your vision is of the change you want to create in the world, if you don't have a need that you're fulfilling or a problem that you're solving, that vision will never become a reality. That is critical. And yeah, you're right. You know, we talk about at Stanford and all the places that that inspiration can come from, from being that consumer to observing, uh, observing other consumers to, you know, a technological breakthrough that you realize, oh my God, this enables you to be able to do something that was never possible before. But the purpose and the need have to be linked. And I think that one of the, big mistakes that entrepreneurs make is that they feel like they have to be so bold in their vision that they lose sight of any piece of advice that's coming from their customers or from other people around them that says, you might be going down a wrong path there. And what the way I talk about that is having bold humility. Now, those might sound like oxymoron. How could it be you be bold and humble at the same time? And as an entrepreneur, don't you always have to be bold? But I think you have to balance that with uh, with a humility. And what I mean by that, you know, based somebody who's, whose word is very um, important in the Valley and now is becoming worldwide understood by entrepreneurs is a guy named Steve Blank, who coined the term along with Eric Ries, the lean startup, which is very powerful in the Valley. And what Steve talks about, I think this is so right on. He, when he says about a startup is that a startup is not a company. 
A startup is an experiment waiting to find a sustainable, valuable business model. And what that means and how this is linked to humility is our job is as an entrepreneur is to learn. It is not to every time someone says something to pivot our idea, but we need to listen for the thread of truth. And the thread of truth guides us as to what we need to do to adapt or pivot our vision and our, our, our idea and how we're executing it even so that we can make sure that truly we can deliver on what our intention was from the beginning. So entrepreneurs need to understand that their vision is adaptable. Don't walk away from your core, core purpose, but your vision is adaptable. Your idea is adaptable. It's got to adapt to the marketplace or else, again, your, your purpose will never happen. That is really a hard thing to do. Yeah. And, and there's so much nuance in communication. And generally, pe- people have a hard time listening. They don't have listening skills. They have doing <laughs> skills. Yeah. And, and so, you know, going back to the very beginning of our conversation, then I, I see the only way to do that, to hear that thread of truth, is to number one, slow down and, and listen and just be and just pause. Don't be so quick to take action on whatever that thing is. I mean, do you have an, an, a story where, where in, in your experience or someone you were advising was getting feedback, be it from an investor or a customer or the marketplace in general, and they were really in a hurry to act, but they slowed down and they listened for that thread of truth and it, and it changed the way that they did something? Well, yeah. I mean, I'll share a story about, about my current company, Rebel. So Rebel now is a coconut milk-based elixir, and it's got all the goodness of coconut milk. It's organic. It's, of course, because it's organic, it's non-GMO, and it, it's just exquisite t- tasting. Paulo is just brilliant at product development, and as every company that I've been part of, you can't get people to come into a healthier product if your product doesn't taste good. And one of the things, and I'll go back to why this is connected to your story, you know, we talked in the, about the uh, Rebel story and it came from how do we source these super herbs in a way that helps to, um, that helps to protect the communities that, that they're grown in. And so when Paulo actually first came into the company, he wanted to find a way to work with these super herbs. And there are herbs that um, there's a couple different ones. Now people, they're very popular. Turmeric, for example, people are, it's now known for its antioxidant and um, anti-inflammatory properties. And these there's these other herbs that are starting to emerge. They've been around for the millennia, but they're starting to be understood as being perfect for modern day life. They're called adaptogens. And they adapt, literally adapt to your body. Yeah, these are things like uh, reishi, maca, and ashwagandha. There's clinical studies behind ashwagandha that say that it helps your body adapt to stress, your individual body. So if you're overstressed, it will calm you down. If you're understressed, it will give you energy. And so Paula was working with these herbs, and he came up with this, this uh, herbal tea that he first they first launched at Rebel. This was before my time. And the tea, you know, the tea was doing pretty well in the market, but, you know, it wasn't blowing the doors off. 
And over time, we started, you know, Apollo started listening to the market and finding, you know, finding that there was a new thing emerging with coconut milk and the goodness of coconut. And he started, the more he started looking at, the more he started saying, this could be a basis of an elixir that could be exquisite tasting. And so he came up with what the product is today. And when I joined the company, it was it was heart wrenching, and we had I, I, you know, I looked at everything, I looked at the numbers, and I looked at this product, and I said, "This is the this is the winning horse, this elixir. This is what consumers are telling us that they really want." So we're a really small company without a lot of resources, and we hadn't raised this was all friend, friends and family money at the time. So he said, "We got to focus our energy. We got to focus our product." And it was, this was heart wrenching for people because. The tonic product is what started our company. It was what was in the beginning. But what I said to people is, look at our soul is in this new product that we've come up with. And the market is telling us this is where it's taking us. And to make this company all the more strong, to make sure that we're giving as much as we can back to not for sale, for not to sale, to do their work, to get this product, these herbs, this you know super health healthful drink, organic drink to more people. This is where we got to play, and eventually everyone came on board, and it's changed the trajectory of the company. There's this very powerful concept that an earlier guest named Daniel Harkavy shared with me. He runs a company, a coaching company called Building Champions out of Portland, Oregon, and he said you got to reserve the capacity to say no to good things so you could say yes to great yes. things. Yes. And, and the thing that was launched that started the company was a good thing, but it wasn't the great thing. And now you guys have the great thing yeah. that the market is responding to and is yeah. taking you to the next level and is empowering you to have the impact on these indigenous people, these farmers that are your suppliers that you desire to have, that you otherwise wouldn't be able to have because the market wouldn't buy the other product. Yeah, we have some fans out there that miss it, and I understand. Um, try the, the elixirs, <laughs> but yeah, that's a direction we end up taking. What inspires you more today, the pursuit or the achievement? Oh, man, the pursuit. I mean, I, I, I'm old. You know, one of the things, this is going to sound so funny, but one of the things, Joseph Campbell, who's an amazing man, you know, he's he was so, the whole, the power of the, the power of myth, the hero's journey. You kind of talked a little bit about that earlier. And one of the things that he talked about was, you know, he said, as you get older, like he embraces getting older. And I've always, I've never had a fear for some reason of getting older. And I never understood why. And what he said in, in one of his books was so powerful to me because he said, you know, when you're younger, it feels all about going to the next thing. And it's what I'm going to do in the future. And when you're, when you get older and I've been through a lot of, a lot of stuff, it starts to become about the moment. Because it is about just the present. There's no more reaching for the next thing. It's about being in the present. So with my company now, it's just about the pursuit of what we're doing with our purpose. It's, it's not to me about, I don't need to achieve anything else. And when, when it's done, when it's time to say, uh, to let go, I'll know it's time to say let go. Mm. But that's, that's where I am. And I think 
I get, you know, I can tell younger aspiring entrepreneurs that's what it's about at the end of the day. I try to tell my kids that <laughs> they'll never believe me. You have to go through your own journey to get there. But at the end of the day, that's what it's about. That's beautiful. And that's where that bold humility comes in, you know, and, and the, the ability and the willingness to listen to your heart and to others, you know, and, and that's what ultimately empowers you to have the game changing impact in the world that you're seeking to have. What is one of the most surprising or daunting or shocking things you've learned about yourself as an entrepreneur and a leader? It's like it goes back to the beginning. It's you need to slow down to go fast. I'm still teaching that to myself every single day. But when the moments that I can breathe, and I have a company, the people in my company are very thoughtful, and their speed is very different from mine. And and it's just helped me also in this journey to try to learn how to slow down and just be. It's helped me because. Even when I have a conversation with someone, I know I need to just breathe. I need to breathe in the conversation. As you said, I can't be thinking about the next thing I have to say. I have to be thinking about what they're saying Mm -hmm. and listening. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what has surprised me at the end because I thought it was all about going fast and getting the A plus, 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 (laughs) plus. If there's one thing you want people to remember from our conversation today, what might that be? Is it to slow down or is there something else? It's to separate your self-worth from your company. You've got to do it. it will, I mean, they, you picked up on exactly what the title is meant to say. People talking about that they're killing it, but it could be killing you. Make sure you separate. You talk to people. Get help. Keep your relationships strong. Make sure it's. we need to understand this is part of our nature as entrepreneurs, this dark side. And we have to find all the ways that we can do it to make sure we're this may sound silly, but hacking our branch, hacking through the branches of the dark so we can get back into the light. It's critical for not only for ourselves, for our companies. Yeah. You know, Cheryl, I want to say thank you so much for, for being a guest on the Impact Entrepreneur Show. It is really my honor to, to shine a light on this because it's so important. It's, it's not talked about enough. The opposite is talked about incessantly in, in the entrepreneurial world, the hustle, the grind, the killing it. And you know, I, I really hope and pray that more people pay attention to the message of this book and the message from from the conversation that we've had today, because it's it's really has the 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 power to have a hundred x impact in their business and their relationships and in the world. And so, I really want to appreciate you for your vulnerability, your authenticity, and for being willing to share your story with the world. Michael, I can't thank you enough for being willing to share this story. It's amazing what you're what you're doing, and you're an awesome interviewer, by the way. <laughs> thank you very much. I I, I take that to heart because <laughs> it's hard. It's it, being an interviewer is hard. You want to ask really good questions and be thoughtful. You are very good. You got, almost got me to tears there. So, <laughs> where can we point people to learn more about you and what you're doing and your business, your book, and anything else that you want people to learn about? Yeah, well, you can find the company Rebel at uh, R-E-B-B-L, rebel.co, C-O. Uh, Facebook, us, uh, Rebel Elixirs. 
And Twitter is Rebel Elixirs. Our Instagram is Rebel, again, R-E-B-B-L. And if you want to learn more about the book, you can go to CherylOlachlan.com. Um, that's S-H-E-R-Y-L-O-L-O-U-G-H-L-I-N.com or um, at Facebook as Cheryl Author. Thank you to this week's guest and thank you for listening. If you missed any of the key points and highlights from my conversation, we've got you covered over at theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash podcast for show notes to each and every episode. And while you are there, check out Flynn Wealth Strategies and Insurance Solutions. You can do that by visiting flynnwealthstrategies.com. The Lot Marketing Group and the Podcast Masters. We could not do this show without them and with all of their support. Now, until next time, go make an impact. Hey, 